Patriots Beat is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Everyone, welcome back in to another live edition of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. Brian Hines from Pat's Pulpit, joined as always by 98.5 The Sports Hub's Alex Barth. And we are officially one week away from the start of training camp when the fun begins. And we'll start to break that down today. But before we do that, there was some Patriots news because the coaches, their summer break was over. They were back in the building today. And they wasted no time getting busy here because the Patriots had Leonard Fournette in for a workout, had Daryl Henderson in for a workout, a couple running backs in the building. And there was some interest in Denzel Mims, the wide receiver from the Jets, who looks like he's headed out of town there. So we can start with the running backs because that's been a position that we've been kind of been on our radar here, right? They only have five on right. the roster. Looked like that was going to be a position they might have added or been looking to add to here during camp. So Fournette and Henderson, somehow Henderson is only 25 years old. That kind of surprised me when we just heard that news. But those two guys were in today. So so where are your thoughts kind of on them? I mean, I, I, I said it before. I think Fournette would be a, a good fit for what I think they're looking for, which is a well-rounded back to split drives with Ramondre Stevenson. Granted, that would be Dalvin Cook as well. I think that was the question a lot of people had. Why are they working at Leonard Fournette when Dalvin Cook is available? One, I just think they want to see where Leonard Fournette's at. May not be one or the other. It may not be they still want. It may be they still want Dalvin Cook, but if there's injuries down the road, if Fournette becomes available, they want to know what's going on with him. But the other thing is, Dalvin Cook may not want to come here. They're, one, he's he wants to get paid, and, and we know where they're at with that. And two, he's probably going to want to be a feature back. And I don't think he wants to split carries. I think he wants to be the primary back in an offense so he can reset his value and get himself paid next year. And that's not going to happen here because Ramondre is going to be a big part of what they do offensively. Whereas I think Fournette is at a point in his career where where he's more comfortable than a spellback role. Uh, I I also just think that what Fournette gives you as a pass blocker, what he gives you as more of a downhill runner, is is a better fit. He's more of a scheme fit for what the Patriots want to do. I think Fournette would make a lot of sense. My guy's been Ezekiel Elliott throughout this thing. No word from his camp, but he's another guy that may not want to split carries. If Fournette's willing to split carries, he makes a lot, a lot of sense for the Patriots. As for Dar- uh, Darnell Henderson, he's been kind of banged up the last couple of years. I think he's had a couple of workouts the last few months and is still unsigned. So that may be more like an emergency list kind of thing. We know the Patriots do this. They just work out as many players as they can. So if they do need to sign somebody quickly, they have a base idea of where that guy's at, but Fournette would be a good signing. Fournette would, would make a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm with you there. Cause he can come in and spell Ramondre and not be too predictable. Right. Cause he can do both right. in the run game in the passing game. He had, I think it was like 73 receptions last year. I thought he took Yeah, 73 catches on 83 targets over 500 yards. Career year as a receiver. It was Byron Leftwich's playbook. So, But still, like he has that ability, and you can trust him with that. I thought he took a step in his pass protection too last year. And it's a guy they've, they brought him in last year, right, whether he was just playing the free agent cards how he wanted to to go back to Tampa. But they've had interest in him before. So it, it kind of seemed like, this would be a guy who they'd have interest in and, and it made sense there. But Denzel Mims was another name because the Jets, he seemed like he was heading out. Uh, it's been a rocky few years there in New York. They were going to wave him, it looks like, but now they're getting some trade interest. He'd come in and he'd be your fifth receiver probably, right? It, it might He wouldn't be on the field much unless one of those top four get hurt. But there's some interesting potential there, but I don't know if he's worth a trade at this point as your fifth guy. He's kind of like a, a training camp flyer at this point. So where are you kind of on Denzel Mims? If they want to bring him in, bring him in. He's not going to cost anything. I think they're saying a trade would be a conditional seventh round pick in, in a free agency. He's going to get the minimum. I he, he doesn't fix anything. He doesn't solve anything. This doesn't make up for not getting DeAndre Hopkins. He got it in three years has struggled to stay healthy. When he is healthy, he can't get on the field. He, he just can't win the snaps on a Jets offense. That wasn't exactly loaded kind of, you know, I think there's overlap with Tyquan Thornton, six, three, two Oh seven speedster. I think the difference is Tyquan is much better, is much more quick. Denzel Mims running a straight line. He's not changing direction. Tyquan Thornton can change direction. So if you want to take a flyer on the guy, take a flyer on the guy. I, I do think, and, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, uh, 
the depth of wide receiver after those first four guys drops off significantly. There's really no proven talent after Parker, Smith-Schuster, Bourne, and Thornton. You get down to Kayshawn Boutte, Demario Douglas, and Lee Malik Cunningham. So to get another guy who's played in the NFL isn't necessarily a bad idea, but I, I it's not it's nothing more than a flyer. Mims has not found success in the NFL to this point, and I don't know that the Patriots are going to change that. It would be good to get another body with NFL experience, but that's about it when it comes to Mims. Yeah, I was kind of with you. And I, I wouldn't trade for him. I wouldn't even do yeah. the, the the conditional seventh. Let him get cut. Let him get to waivers. If, if somebody else is going to give up something for him, let them do that. You can go out on the street and get like Corey Coleman or a guy like that who's going to more or less give you the same thing. Yeah. And it seems like he might get traded here. I saw something like Dallas was interested and there's a few other teams, whether that's just – them trying to boost his value is one thing or another, but well, in the, in the jets, well, the jets didn't end up releasing him when they were yeah. supposed to release him today. So that tells you there might be something going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. But he, yeah, a, a camp body of a flyer, see what he is. He's, he was a first round pick, right? So he has second round pick. Second, so, so still the potentials there, but I liked him his rookie year. Obviously Zach Wilson, that jets, it's just been downhill. So maybe a f- fresh start, new, new scenery will do good for him, but if they want to bring him in on a flyer for cheap, that, that'd be good with me, but it's obviously not an impact guy who you're going to bring in there, but right. So we can, you want to jump into the training camp preview? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So as we said, one week away, first practice one week away from today. So we're going to kind of go through all the positions here. Uh, say like one big thing we're looking for, maybe break down some of the positional battles within there. So, We'll just start with quarterback, the big one. They, the spring kind of shut down any quarterback competition. You know, Mac is this guy unless things go like totally off the rails, which I don't think either of us are expecting in the summer. But what I'm looking for is he looked comfortable. He looked refreshed. Now, like, like let's see him do it in a live pocket, right? That's the big thing, the live pocket, because he was very, he was one of the worst statistical passers in the league last year under pressure. So, I just, you know, let's see how he looks when there's a pass rush coming down on him and just how that kind of plays out. That's my big thing I'm looking for with Mac there. Mine's the exact same thing. It all started going south last year when he got sped up, when when he started facing that pressure in the pocket. He's going to face pressure again. I mean, we'll get to the tackle situation, but he's going to face pressure again. He's got to be more poised, more composed, more confident in the pocket, be willing to step into throws, things like that. It was the first sign last year that things went wrong, and I think it can be the first sign this year that things are going right if if Max handling pressure much better. Because sometimes quarterbacks get sped up and they never reset that internal clock. Sometimes guys do. Every quarterback's gotten sped up. So a lot of quarterbacks are able to reset their clock. The question is with a year off, with a, with a, a coach who actually wants to work with them, can Mac Jones get his internal clock reset and get back to where he was in 2021? Yeah, and I think... We saw some signs of it in the spring. You know, he mentioned he's got his toolbox back, right? Like all the tools to him because last year he didn't have much power at the line of scrimmage, it seemed like. They took some of that maybe away from him. And it looks like with Bill O'Brien now back, he's going to have some of that power up front. And and you saw one play in the spring that stood out to me. You know, he flashed a hand signal to Kendrick Bourne. Patriots brought a blitz and he he got him on a slant, which would have been a touchdown. So – it was good start, but again, it's not that live pocket. So let's see how it looks when you know there is a, a defense coming down on them like that. Well, maybe too. That just plays to the confidence. There were no protection checks last year. He had to go with whatever was called in the huddle. And I would imagine as a quarterback, that's terrifying. Yeah. That you can see something, know the protection you have isn't going to work, and you're not able to adjust to it. So maybe now that he can at least in part set his own protections. Uh, he'll feel more confident in his protection. Yep. Yep. On the same page there. So running backs, we got into some of the guys who might come in, but they have five on the roster. We know Ramondre is going to be the lead dog. My big thing is Pierre Strong still here because I love Pierre Strong. I love speed. I just get all the speed on the field as possible, but You saw he had 17 touches last year. It was a redshirt year, essentially. Is he going to become a consistent threat for you that, you know, you can get him on the field in the passing game, reliable, and and 
pass protection, get at the ball in his hands, get him some good looks that he can use his speed against, or is he just going to be this kind of three, four touch guy a game where you're just going to throw him out there and hope he can break one when you need one. So I hope he can strain kind of a consistent summer here and, and be a regular offensive piece because I think that speed would go a long way on this offense that might feature guys like Gasicki, Henry, Parker, some of these slower possessional guys. So my, my big thing actually goes beyond that. I, yes, there's all this talk about who the second running back will be. And this is assuming they don't sign anybody. There's all this talk about who the second running back will be. And I think to answer that question, we need to know what Ramondre Stevenson's role is going to be. And he should have less touches. We've talked about this. It's a, a quality over quantity thing. If you give him the ball less, he'll actually be a better player because he won't be as worn out late in the year like he was last year. And he said he was last year. Now, that being said, where are those snaps coming from? Is he going to have more of an early down role and they need a a passing down back or will it be vice versa? And that dictates what you're looking for in that second back. If it's mostly going to be Ramondre on passing downs, I think that that points more towards a guy like Kevin Harris than maybe Pierre Strong or Ty Montgomery, whereas if Stevenson's going to be on early downs, which is kind of what I think they're going to end up doing, that opens the door more for strong in Montgomery as opposed to Harris. Then there's also that thing about, do they stop doing it situationally and just go by drive? If they sign a guy like Leonard Fournette, then I think that's what you're talking about. You're talking about probably two of every three drives go to Ramondre Stevenson, and then they mix Leonard Fournette in a third of the time, something like that. So, but that's the, the, the RB two question is a big one. The competition between as it stands right now, strong and Harris and Montgomery, but I don't think we can really, we don't know the context in which that conversation is being had until we know what their plan is for Ramondre Stevenson. Yep. And I like how you mentioned that, you know, give them drives because that's kind of what they opened the preseason with last year, right? Like they gave yeah. Stevenson a drive, then Harris a drive, then Montgomery a drive. But obviously Montgomery went down early and Harris went down early and then they just kind of were forced to use Ramondre. But maybe they do get back kind of that drive by drive. You lose some of the, predictability and you know go that route yeah exactly and i like you said i think injuries prevented them from doing that last year but it would be good if they could get back to that because i think it does help yeah i agree oh i get this question sometimes i just see this how does anybody get in a groove if you're pulling them every other play it's not every other play it's every other drive yeah so you're in the game you're out of the game and no running back most running backs don't want to play the full game they don't Mm because the beating you take again is immense so they're just Nobody, nobody's going to sit there and say, I can't believe I'm not getting every single snap. That's just not like, how it works. Like this. There's no workhorses. There's no, like, teams who have a workhorse 25 touch a game, it, it just doesn't doesn't go well for right. them. And you, and you saw Stevenson fade down the stretch last year. You don't, you want to avoid that because he probably is your best offensive player, even though he was an right. 80 overall in Madden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's so wrong. So insanely, they they were so off on that rating. We'll get the rest of the ratings throughout the week, but yeah, we can do that real quick. Ramondre Stevenson, 80 overall in Madden, 20th best back. He's like five points behind Miles Sanders. It was ridiculous. A fine running back, but like 80s borderline starter. And and I I was tweeting about the Madden ratings like last week, like who are the top five players going to be? And a lot of people said Ramondre said, well, they really weren't. He was a 72 last year. They were not kind to him last year. I just, for whatever reason, Madden doesn't like him. I was fully prepared for it to be stupid low. It was stupid low, but yeah, I think it's going to be surprising if there's a more underrated player on the Patriots than Ramondre Stevenson. So he is 72 at the end of the year or beginning? No, I he got up to like 78, I think. Still, that's, that's low for him. Yeah. But so we can receivers. That's all the attention is at the receiver room right now. The top four are set, right? Juju, Kendrick Bourne, Tyquan Thornton, Devontae Parker. That fifth spot, it's, you know, Demario Douglas, Kayshawn Booty, or do two of them make a push and force them to keep six? I'm leading Demario Douglas as the five, and that's kind of where they cut it right now. But that's the I think that's the main competition, and that and that's where my eyes will be at the receiver room. My, my biggest thing is just, is everybody healthy? Yeah, because that, we good. saw this spring, how quickly that depth falls off. And we just kind of talked about it after those top four guys, 
there is no, like I was trying to think before of who the equivalent guy was or who an equivalent guy has been for the Patriots the last couple of years where he's not a starter. He's not going to play a ton, but if you need him, like basically what little Jordan Humphrey was last year, you needed a couple snaps out of a guy who's been in the league. He can give it to you. The drop off from whoever the fourth receiver is, whether it's Thornton or Bourne to the next guy. I mean, you don't really have anybody else with NFL experience, whether it's Trey Nixon, whether it's Ed Lee, whether it's Raleigh Webb, like it's just, it's not, there, there's no depth there. So part of what they did when they, when they chose not to sign Hopkins is they lost any margin for loss at receiver and look, guys are going to miss time. It's going to happen. It's the NFL. But if you're losing guys at that position, given what the position looks like right now, before you even play a meaningful game, that's really going to be a ton to overcome for the Patriots and for Mac Jones. So I'm curious to see if everybody's healthy. And then on top of that, I think it's that battle at the Z position yeah, between absolutely. Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton, because they need significant production out of that position this year, whether it be the two of them splitting it or one of them breaking out. I know everybody wants it to be Thornton and it probably makes more sense for it to be Thornton, but I wouldn't sleep on Kendrick Bourne. But that's the difference between the offense being good enough and being good is whether or not they get production, like significant production, whether that Z receiver becomes a threat, whether one of those guys can even borderline become a coverage dictating wide receiver. And so I think all eyes are right there and who's going to win that battle. And does whoever win it actually look like they're in for a good season? Yep. I agree there. And the health, right. That's probably why they might be poking around the guy like Denzel Mims right now to get another body in. And we did get a report, uh, the Boston Globe, Juju talked to him and said he is expected to be ready for the start of training camp. So that was good news on the injury front. But, yeah, you're already having these things pop up. You know, Devontae Parker, his past hasn't always been, you know, very well healthy. You know, he's not always healthy. And Taekwon, he was hurt last year. So we've talked about it before. They're, they're kind of balancing this line, right, where they have a, a good room and, and it could be, a really good room if one of those Z receivers takes that step, but an injury or two could kind of drop them below, and, and then you're playing a dangerous game there for Mac and everyone else involved. Right. But what kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the receivers is, is the tight ends at this point, right? Because a lot of 12 personnel, you've all heard it throughout the spring, Hunter Henry, Mike Kosicki, Seeing how that's going to work with healthy receivers, I'd still expect a good amount of 12, but do they transition to more 11 with, with Juju back? That's going to be one thing to watch. And then the, the tight end three spot, like can one of these guys make a push to convince them to say, hey, we got to keep a third tight end on the 53? They haven't done it in the past with Henry and Janu. I released a, a 53-man roster projection last week over on Pat's pulpit, and I just had the two because I'm kind of at you can get a combination of these Johnny Lumpkin, Anthony Furcher, Scotty Washington to the practice squad and then just elevate them when you need it. But can one of those guys make a push? Maybe that's something you know to put on the back burner there throughout camp. I'm with you on that, on the third tight end, but it, that doesn't mean it's not a battle. I think you know yeah. who's the first guy elevated. Yeah, becomes a thing. And and so that's certainly something to watch in camp. The other thing that it comes down to with the third tight end is what is Mike Kosicki's usage? Because is he going to be, you know, going back to when he was at his best in Miami, he was essentially a slot receiver, 60% of the time in the slot, about 20% out wide. That was his role. And if they're going to do that, I don't, they might need to keep a third tight end because he's a wide receiver at that point. And are they going to use him to buoy this wide receiver group, especially given the lack of depth we've been talking about? So they may have to keep a third tight end because the third tight end might be the second tight end if Mike Kosicki is the fifth wide receiver. So seeing his usage, seeing how they use him, to me is going to be really interesting because there's a lot of different directions they can go with that. And uh, I know on the um, the Playmakers podcast on The Athletic, they were talking about how Sean McVay used to run 11 personnel with sort of like a hidden tight end. You know, they called it 11 and a half, which by the way, we called it months ago. So are we as smart as Sean McVay or smarter? Yeah, probably. People are saying. The other interesting thing in this, I did talk to somebody who, not with the team, but somebody who wondered if Juju Smith-Schuster might get some hybrid tight end use. Because if you look at it, Juju Smith-Schuster is objectively more of a traditional tight end than Mike Kosicki is. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's a better blocker. 
And that could further complicate this thing in a good way, in a good way, and give the Patriots even more um, flexibility with their offensive personnel sets. And this goes back to something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Brian. If they come out with Parker, Juju, Henry, Gasicki, Montgomery, well, you have Juju who can play wide receiver and tight end. You have Gasicki who can play wide receiver and tight end. And then you have Montgomery who can play wide receiver and running back. That's an, and then you just start going no huddle. That's a nightmare for an offense to match personnel wise. You can make them declare their personnel, line up whatever is beneficial positionally, positioning those guys, and then go no huddle so they can't adapt. So Gasicki's usage is going to be really interesting. And, and just to tie into that, what they end up doing with, with you know, how much are him and Juju Smith-Schuster on the field at the same time? Gasicki and Juju. How much are they on the same side of the formation at the same time? Are there going to be instances where Juju is actually lining up inside uh, of where Mike Gasicki lines up? And I don't mean in line, like with his hand in the dirt next to the tackle. I don't think Juju is going to do that, but do they go double slot? Do they do things where Juju's in the slot and Gasicki as a tight end is out wide? Uh, they can get super creative with that. Will they? I don't know. I feel like every year I, I kind of hope they do something like this and they never do. But it, it well, they will to an extent with Kasiki because they've sort of alluded to that. But they can get really weird with it. And then that goes to how the roster's made up again. Is Mike Kasiki your second tight end or is he your fourth wide receiver? And then does that mean that Johnny Lumpkin's going to make the team or Anthony Ferks or, or Matt Sokol is going to make the team or Scotty? And then Scotty Washington's another guy, frankly, who's a hybrid wide receiver tight end. So you can start getting weird with that stuff as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with all that. Yeah. And you could all like Juju played a little of the X last year in Kansas City. Right? Yeah. So you have him, if you take Parker probably off the field, you could have him at the X and then Gasicki in the slot. So there are a lot of variations that they can, you know, run there. You talked so much about the versatility in the secondary and the safeties, like same kind of thing here with the receivers and the tight ends. Right. And then lastly, on the offensive side of the ball, the offensive line, the good old offensive line. Tackle. So let's start here with let, let's start here with the offensive line. Let's let's get the easy part out of the way first. Uh I don't want to speak for you, Brian, but on the interior, on Wenu, Andrews, Strange, I think that's yeah. a fine group. I think that's a good group. I'm not worried about that. Yep. All right. Now that we got that out of the way. <laughs> the fun begins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh so Trent Brown. Yes. I, I like he's their best tackle, right? He's their best tackle. He's going to start. That's kind of how I've looked at this. Yeah. I am comfortable saying Trent Brown will start. That's going to say where, but I feel comfortable saying Trent Brown will start. After that, I yeah. think I, there's nothing more than just guessing. There is yeah. nothing more than shot in the dark, blindfolded, pin the tail on the donkey. Yep. Because. You know, you talk, the the battle looks like it's Riley Reef, Connor McDermott on the right side, right? With Trent right. Brown on the left. But then you could have a guy like Calvin Anderson make a push here who lined up all the time at left tackle throughout the spring without Trent Brown. Was that just a filler or was that what they're planning to use him, right? And then you move Brown back to the right side. So they have a lot of options there and... Like that's that's definitely the biggest battle of, of the summer, I would say, is how do those tackle spots kind of shake out? And like you said, Brown will start, but it's where and then who's opposite of him, whatever side he is on. You guys have heard me say this a million times. I'm going to say it again. If anything undoes the offense, it's not going to be the coaching. It's not going to be the quarterback. It's not going to be the receivers. It's going to be the tackles because Trent Brown – I, I actually think people are a little too low on Trent yeah. Brown right now. I'll say that I do. I, I, I He wasn't great last year. He wasn't the player he was in 2018, but he was a starting NFL caliber starting tackle. Wasn't a pro bowler and all pro, but like if they get 17 games of that from him this year, one side is in good shape. Now that's the question with him is, are they going to get 17 games? That's the where I more so worry about his situation. After that, Riley Reef has been an NFL starting tackle in the past, but he's 34 and he showed some pretty significant signs of regression last year. So who knows what you're going to get from him? 
uh, Calvin Anderson is a project player. He is athletic. He is big, but he needs a lot of coaching. And four years in, you wonder at what point is it just not going to translate. But he is a guy that is a total unknown. I think Connor McDermott is your most stable lineman, but he's a serviceable third tackle. That's what he is. Like, he's not going to be terrible, but he's certainly not going to be good either. And he's going to, he can only play on the right side. He's going to struggle against speed rushers. That's what he is. He'll maul anybody that, anybody who tries to maul him, anybody that tries to go power for power with him, he'll hold his own. Beyond that, I don't know. So I, I just, can you, I, I, we've talked about this. I think their plan is, Adrian Clem coaches guys up enough and their scheme de-emphasizes the tackle position enough that it doesn't matter that, that they make it work and it, it, and they can coach around it. Exactly what that comment said. It's, it's bill trusting the coaches more than the players. That's I, I think Adrian Clem's a very good coach. I love that hire. That's putting a lot on his plate. Yeah. That is putting a ton on his plate. And I don't know about that. So can you get with uh, 34 because it's two sides, t- 17 times two. Can you get 35 games of starting caliber tackle play out of Trent Brown, Calvin Anderson, Riley Reef, and Connor McDermott? Can Adrian Clem and Billy Yates and Bill O'Brien get you that? <clears throat> I don't know. I really don't know. If I had a bet, I would say no. I, I don't think that they'll get you zero. Because again, I do think Trent Brown can play at a starting caliber level. It's just can he stay healthy? The other guys are where I start wondering about level of ability. But it's scary. It's a scary group, plain and simple. And and there is one caveat here, and we can get to that. But I guess Brian, just your thoughts on if they stick with the tackles, they're calling tackles. A little bit of a foreshadow there to my other point. If they stick with the tackles, they're calling tackles. How do you feel about the group? It's where we've kind of been at it. It's the biggest issue, and it's the one thing that could really just tank this offense, right? Like we talked about it at the start there. Mac was so bad under pressure last year, and I and he kind of lost that confidence. If you have a repeat of that early in the year, like that's when it can kind of go downhill there. So you kind of put it perfectly. Like I, I like Trent Brown. I think he gets you know, a little too much hate. Like he, he's still a good tackle. Just there's some mental lapses sometimes, but you got to find 17 games out of those other three, no matter how you shake it. Or, you know, I think how you were going with the CD Sal, maybe he could play here and, or on when new gets bumped out, if that's where you were also going with that. So yeah, that seems kind of like their emergency plan with, which what I kind of also want to say they have a lot of competition along the interior with these rookies that they just drafted and, and, you know, Bill Murray and James Ferencz and Jason Hines from last year. So if that tackle play really falls off and you really like one of these guys along the interior, maybe it's time to bump Mike and when you're back outside to right tackle, even though they were so reluctant to do that last year. See, but that's, and that's the point is, will they do that? And they made it very clear last year. We were 30 minutes away from James Ferentz lining up at left tackle in a divisional game opposite Vaughn Miller against the Bills. And Trent Brown was sick, but he was able to get on the field, and it didn't happen. But if they were going to do that, they were never going to play Michael Onwenu at tackle. They would have brought a tight end in, or they would have brought a defensive player over. It was starting to feel like before they moved Michael Onwenu out. And their reasoning wasn't incorrect. You know, they want... They don't want to stunt his growth. They moved him around a ton his first two years. They wanted him to sit in a position and grow in that position. They chose guard. I would have chose tackle because it's a more valuable position. But if you decide we're going to develop him at guard, then you develop him at guard. And there is something to be said for that. The the first two years, I said they need to put him in a position to stick with it because they're screwing with his development because they're moving him around too much. So I'd be a hypocrite if I said otherwise. That all being said, he's now in the last year of his deal. If they know they're not going to pay him, I know this sounds harsh, but it's the NFL. It's a business. His development really isn't their issue. It's not. It's a one-year thing. He's essentially a rental. And if the other question is, was it Matt Patricia who didn't want to move him or Bill Belichick? Because if it was Matt Patricia who didn't want to move him, well, Matt Patricia is no longer here. And there you go. If it was Belichick, then it's, well, does he still not want to move him or has he come around? Because 
Their best five involves Michael Owenu playing right tackle. It's Trent Brown, left to right, Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews. You'd probably have a battle at right tackle. I really liked what I saw from Antonio Maffi in the spring, but it would be Maffi, Sow, Chasen Hines, Jake Andrews, Bill Murray, Bill Murray. maybe, right? Um, I, I I feel like I'm missing somebody. Uh, Rusi, Cody Rusi, you know, yep. could get in there as well. Maybe Andrew Stuber kicks inside to guard, but like you have options is the point. You have options at guard and then Mike Owen at your right tackle and that's your best five, but you have to be willing to put him out there. Maybe they don't do it right away, but I, you know, what's the point of no return? If they get their ass beat in Tennessee in joint practices, do they adjust? Do they adjust? I think that's something you would have to consider. The other thing that I keep going back to in this, it's not quite the same with City Sal because we know they see City Sal as a tackle and they played him there a tackle. And maybe he gets some reps and he hasn't played tackle in four years. He hasn't played it since he was a freshman in Eastern Michigan. The reason I don't include him in that full group with, with Anderson and, and Reef and, and McDermott is I just think he's a project. Maybe he comes along and, and he pushes for a role and he ends up at right tackle. The other thing I wouldn't rule out Mike on when was rookie year 2020 tackle in training camp. He'd been a guard since high school. He didn't play tackle in college at all. Didn't play tackle in the summer. There was no spring that year it was COVID didn't play tackle in the summer. And then Trent Brown gets hurt on the first play of the game week one. And it's Michael and running out there at right tackle. So maybe they're, even if they don't do something, whether it's we don't see Michael Wenner at right tackle, we don't see City South right tackle, it's Mafia playing tackle, something way out of the blue, they'll do it without practicing it, or at least practicing it significantly. Maybe the week leading up to Miami after training camp practice close to the media, they ended up putting him out there, but it wasn't extensive. But I, I really hope that they would consider putting Michael Wenner at right tackle. I don't think they're going to do it. That seems like a Bill Belichick call in terms of the player development, not moving the player. But it's I, it's their best line by a lot, but I just don't think they're going to do it. I think they trust their tackles, and I think they trust Adrian Clem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They, they've spoken very highly of the group they, they brought in uh, at that position this offseason, Bill and Macro. So I think that's where we're headed, but <laughs> it could fall apart cl- quickly and you might need Unwenu out there and that will be the tell right if it's really bad and they still don't do it like last year then then they're committed to Unwenu at guard but that that's that's the issue that's the big thing entering the the summer is that tackle position so we'll see how that kind of shakes out when, when the pads get on and the contact starts but that pretty much wraps up the offense if you want to hit the ad before we jump over to defense yeah, let's get a quick word from our friends at FanDuel, then we'll do defense. All right, so jumping over to defense. Do you want to stay in the trenches or start in the secondary? Let's let's start at the defensive line. Let's just work right. our way back. So I think the main storyline of this group is, is kind of Lawrence Guy, right? Whether he's going to report or not here, how that contract holdout's going to shake out. I'm really excited to see a, their plan for Keon White. What you know, he experimented with kind of a hand in the dirt and a two point stance throughout the spring a little bit. How that going to shake out? And one thing that Matt Judon said in, in the spring was that he's been working rushing over guards in the offseason, and that'll be interesting to see if that's just something he's doing or if that's something they have a plan for. Kind of like how they moved Hightower around a little bit at times and make it less predictable where he's coming from. So you know, an offensive line can't chip them with a back or something. That would be just kind of a cool wrinkle, I think, because they, they haven't done that in his, his time here. And if he's talking about that, that would be a cool, you know, wrinkle to that pass rush that was already really good. And I think more importantly, it's a way to get him and Josh Uche both on the weak side, because I think yeah. what's tough right now to get Uche on the field full time is he basically has to play on the strong side if, if Judon's going to rush on the weak side and they don't want a guy who doesn't, Uche doesn't rush with the best discipline. He just kind of pins his ear back and goes. So I, if, if you can get Judon on the interior and Uche coming off the weak side, you can play them both on early downs and still have your strong side edge setter on the field, who probably is Keon White. And it's interesting you mentioned him 
in the, you know, kind of with Lawrence guy. Cause that's, that that's the, that's the, the, the logical move right there. When they drafted Keon white, I think a lot of us looked at that and said, all right, he's Lawrence guy's replacement. And now Lawrence guy's holding out. So if Lawrence guy's here, if they can work it out, they're going to play him because they really like him. But if, if Lawrence guy's not here, I think for Keon white, there's going to be a potential to have a really significant role, like a 55, 60% usage rate role, which is a lot for a Patriots defensive lineman. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. And if we want to stick with the the rookie theme playing a lot. Well, I have one more on the defensive line, too. I'm interested yeah. to see Barmore because yeah, definitely we spent a lot of time last offseason talking about how if Barmore could make the year two leap and kind of complete that pass rush, be the final picture in that pass rush, because you have, and I'm talking on third downs now when you're letting the guys pin their ear back. You got Judon on one side, you've got Uche on the other, and they've, they haven't had that real interior presence. It's been Baltimore at times, but he got hurt last year. He was playing well. I actually thought he was having a better season than most people realized because the stats yep. weren't there, but it was there on tape. He was impacting plays. And then he got hurt, missed a month and a half. And then when he came back, he didn't really, he wasn't playing the same. I think he was still bothered by that knee injury. So if he's fully healthy now, third year, here we go. It's kind of that same thing. Can he be a guy that, is a presence on the inside. And when you have Judon on your left as the quarterback, Judon on your left and Uche on your right and Barmore up the middle, you can't really overly help blocking any of those guys because if you leave any of them one-on-one, they're going to kill you. So I, I'm Barmore looked healthy in the spring. He looked explosive in the spring. I want to see continuation of that. And I, I want to see him get going because if he really gets going, it's another strong layer for this defense. Yeah. I mean, they were, what, like third in the league in sacks last year, and that was with Barmore missing a good chunk of games. So yeah, if he's in there, if he's healthy and explosive, like he looked at the beginning of the year and then he kind of looked those last two games of the year when he kind of got his feet back under him, that, that's going to be just another level, as you mentioned there, that make a really good pass rush even better potentially. But you can jump back a level – to the linebackers, I mean, Marte Mapu, right? Like that's yeah. one of the yeah. players to watch throughout this throughout the summer. We'll see if he's in that red non-contact jersey, right? He had the torn pec, so he was, you know, technically limited throughout the spring, even though there was no contact. He was rotating between linebacker and safety. I hope they keep him at that second level. I think he would just be such a really good pair next to Juwan Bentley, just a real like sideline to sideline athlete, just something they haven't had on their defense in recent years even though they've kind of been looking for it right with like the cam magroons of the world so he he looks like a real kind of fit in, in that role and it'll be exciting to see if they still trot him out there for a high clip right out of the gate yeah i look i actually don't mind them moving him around a little bit i i think he should primarily be an off-ball linebacker yeah. but just to keep the the offense guessing play him at safety occasionally line him up in the slot occasionally line him up at the star occasionally but he's the guy to watch because in the spring checked every box you can realistically check in a spring practice in a non-padded install practice which isn't everything i i said this back then i'm sticking with it the question still even for that athletic linebacker role like fred werner i think is like 225 matt milano i think is like 227 something like that Mapu's 216, 6'3", 216. So he's undersized compared to the undersized linebackers. Like he's undersized for an undersized linebacker. That being said, he played shot out of a cannon at Sacramento State. It's a much higher level of competition. But if he can hold his own with the physicality once the pads come on, and I hope he's not in a non-contact to start the summer like he was in the spring, and I get why he was in the spring, but if he can hold his own when the, when the contact's there, we're talking about a potentially really special player. So that's, that's forget, you know, what to watch by position. That I think is one of the biggest things to watch in all of camp is how is Marte Mapu handling? I don't, I, I'm not going to say like, how's he handling shooting the a gap? Cause he realistically should never have to do that. That's why Juwan Bentley's here. But when he has to tackle a running back in space, when he has to fight for a tight end through a tight end for ball and coverage or fight through the block of a tight end to get to a running back, how's he doing with, with, in, the, in those sorts of situations because that's kind of that last step for him to cross. Yep. The Niners list Warner at 230. So that's like 15 pounds right there and as an undersized guy kind of himself. So that contact, how he'll handle that will be a big thing. And I saw someone in the 
comments on linebacker Mac Wilson. He'll kind of be interesting because he, he kind of fell out of the rotation at the end of last year, right? He was strictly a special teams player. Kind of seemed like it was going to be between him and Raquan McMillan for a roster spot, and then McMillan goes down. He's out for the year. So, look, Mac Wilson opened the spring kind of next to Juwan Bentley in that role. So, kind of with Marte Mapu, is are they going to open with Mac and Mapu has the chance to take it over? Or are they just going to kind of go to Marte Mapu right out of the gate? But I'd say Mac- I think they're going to go to Mapu out out of really? the gate. Basically, I hope on so. the spring. Yeah, yeah. I. Mac Wilson didn't play a snap after week 10 last year on yeah. defense. I had him off my roster projection. I had it between him and Anthony Jennings for that last linebacker spot. And that's something else to watch at linebacker too, that, that strong side early down outside linebacker, the role that was Anthony Jennings last year, I, I would think Jennings is still the leader to win it, but I think between him, Mac Wilson, and if you want to include Ronnie Perkins, I think that it's those three guys for one spot. I gave it to Jennings, uh, to Jennings, but yeah, I, I think Mac Wilson's a good special teams player. I think that's why he's here and he gives you some depth, but it they had Mapu out there in a red non-contact jersey. A lot. <laughs> like with the number ones constantly. And they this is a team that will take any chance they can to redshirt a player or bury a rookie or whatever. And they gave him every single opportunity. So I think that it's uh I I, I think that it's gonna be Marte Mapu to start. Yeah, I hope they I hope they do that, right? Just get the kids out there, get the speed, the athleticism, and if there's some rookie mistakes, live with it, but it will benefit you in the long run. And speaking of rookies, Christian Gonzalez, I just love watching Christian Gonzalez in the secondary, but he seems like a lock at that kind of boundary corner. So how they rotate in, in the safeties kind of play into this, just that whole rotation in the secondary will will be interesting with Jack Jones. We're assuming it looks like right now, but you know, we'll kind of see how that whole rotation shakes out as the summer goes along. Yeah. The, honestly, I, I kind of put the Jack Jones thing to the side for now. I mean, that's a legal process that's going to be handled in that regard. I don't think we're going to get an answer for a while Yeah, on that. And, and then the team will, will handle that when they handle it. I'm just curious with Christian Gonzalez. Obviously, people know what I think of him. I, I think he's going to be a, a stud NFL corner. Um, his floor is tremendously high. But for any player, for a first overall picks, there is an adjustment period to getting to the NFL. And I'm curious what that is for Gonzalez because this defense can't truly hit its potential until Christian Gonzalez is locked in as that that CB1. And is it a couple months? Is it a month? Is it a couple weeks? Is he ready now? Is there going to be like virtually no learning curve for him? So, that's more of a joint practices thing. How does he look against DeAndre Hopkins in Tennessee? How does he look against Christian Watson in Green Bay? Those sorts of things. But I'm I'm not worried about his ability to be a starting NFL corner, number one NFL corner. But how how much does he need to learn? How quickly does he need to learn to get there? That's what I'm going to be excited about. Mm-hmm. How he the speed, right? The speed of the game, the physicality, and he's got AJ Brown waiting for him in Week One. So you hope he gets off to a good start there. That could be a, a bad welcome to the NFL moment, but yeah, I, like there's no, I'm not really concerned about him at all. Like long term, I think he just has all the tools and, and everything you need to be like an elite cornerback in, in the league. So we'll just see how long it kind of takes him to ease into things. But like the safety, I think the big thing, the safety, we'll see how the you know replacing Devin McCourty that'll be big. If they're just going to keep rotating, spin the dial back there, or if they kind of you know, lean more into two high looks or if they're just going to maybe one of these guys becomes more of a free safety type build. And then Jalen Mills is another one. I think I really like him against tight ends. I think that that would be a really good role for him because they've had issues covering that position in the past few years with Duggar and, and co. So a lot of just opportunities back there and, you know, they can do all sorts of things with those guys in the secondary. I'm more so just curious. I think we know they're going to rotate and they should be rotating. And that's the best way to replace Devin McCourty based on what they have. But when they go into the two minute trail, when they go into yeah. third and 10, when they get into the joint practices and it's one versus ones and it's third and 10, right? Who, who are the deep safeties? Who is the deep safety or who are the deep safeties in those situations? Cause you can rotate all you want. There are going to be some high leverage situations and who do you go to in those spots? I think that is going to be very telling how they line. And I mean, this applies to the whole defense, right? Cause their, their corners are kind of interchangeable as well, but 
who is in that center field role, who is covering the deep middle of the field when they get into a got to have it situation on defense. I think that's going to be monumentally important. And I'll add to that. I hope we see Jabril Peppers. Uh, if it's not in that role, I just hope we see him on the field on third downs because I, he's a guy for me. I think he has massive breakout potential. I think he might have as much breakout potential outside of the rookies. I think he might have as much breakout potential as any player on this team. He had a rough start to his career. He was misused in Cleveland. It was ugly. Goes to New York, had a really good 2020 season, tore his ACL early in 2021. So he wasn't able to replicate it. Comes here, has to learn a new playbook, is still recovering from that injury. You know, the whole thing with the ACL, right? As it's, you know, you miss a year and then there's like a recovery year and you don't get back to yourself for two years. So now he's been in the system. He's, he's been in the playbook. He's familiar with the defense. He's fully healthy, all of that. And he, people are mentioning in the chat. He's a wrecking ball, physical player, tone setter, just nasty, mean as a player. He's actually a really nice guy. I enjoy talking yeah. to him, but like, just not a guy you want to see coming at you on a football field at all. And I, I think there's, he's also a really smart player. I, I think he is, if there's one knock, he's over aggressive at times, but don't, I think aggressiveness and football IQ sometimes get conflated and they shouldn't be. I think there's a chance for him to be a real playmaker for them this year. And I hope they put him on the field in a spot to make plays and whether that's look. So the three safeties are going to be Duggar Phillips and, and, and uh, peppers, whether that's Duggar, we've talked about Duggar playing more free safety. So I think if Duggar's at free safety, it's peppers in that role that Duggar's usually in or was in most of the time last year when McCordy was at free safety, or is it playing peppers at free safety to move Duggar up? Like that's the kind of things you can do with it, but they should both be on the field a lot in key situations. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of peppers and, and bill too. Bill. Ray. Well, you're, a, you're a Michigan guy, right? So that doesn't really. No, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Big Ten. Oh, you, the Pats, the Pats pulpit group is very big on the big 10. Yeah, we are. We're big 10. We're yeah, big 10. Yeah. Keegan's Ohio State. Yeah. Oh no, it's Brian. It's uh, the other Brian's Michigan. Yeah, Brian well, Phillips is Michigan. So, <laughs> so but, I never yeah. worked for you guys. I'm SEC through and through. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Pepper. I mean, you heard Bill rave about him, right? And he looks just. I posted the picture the Patriots put out today. Like he looks sick in number five. So. Yeah, like he's back. Yeah, he's back in at number five. Yeah. Almost where the Heisman. Like he's ready on to breakout year. Jabril Peppers. I'm really feeling it. Yeah. Maybe you can get a punt return, even though Marcus Jones should only handle punt returns. But right, him with the ball, <laughs> him with the ball is just fun to watch. So yes, if we want to take that to special teams, because sure. a lot of battles are going to be there on the special teams. Technically, at all three positions, even though they're not going to cut Joe Cardona after making him the highest paid lawn snapper. But I'm looking more kicker. Chad Ryland, Nick Folk, you think Ryland, fourth-round pick, bigger leg at this point, can handle kickoff duties. He has the upper hand. It's just how can he can he handle the pressure, right? Can he handle the preseason games? Does he perform during then? And now that, like I say that, the win patterns in Gillette with the new scoreboard, that'll be interesting to watch special teams-wise. We should have that in-stadium practice in the one preseason game, obviously, but – that's kind of where I'm at on, on the special teams unit, besides my guy, Jordan Helig, who I think is going to be the, our UDFA on the roster here, or my early favorite for UDFA on the roster. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, the, the, the battles are big. I, I don't think it's a massive battle of kicker. I think it's Ryland yeah. just being a fourth-round pick. They traded up to get him. Folk fell off at the end of the year last year. I, Punter's a lot closer. I've said this. I think Punter's a toss-up. I think it's 50-50 right now between Barringer and Waitman. The the thing I'm really interested in is how are they going to handle kickoffs and kickoff returns with the with the new rules and kickoffs. There's only so much you can do. Is there an equivalent? Because what they used to like to do is kick the ball to the one and make the other team return it and trust your coverage team. That's a little different now because if if you kick the ball to the twenty, or sorry, if you kick the ball to the twenty five, whereas that's the you know that's the new line of demarcation. Yeah, they're going to get better field position than if they got touchback. They're going to return that. If you can't get to the one, they're going to take a, a fair catch all the time. Is it, uh, you know, does it become, do you kick the ball to the 15 and kind of give them a tough decision? Can you get 10 yards there or are you going to just take the fair catch? And then on the other side, I, I wonder if there's an element of, so if you look at the numbers in college, 
nobody returns kickoffs anymore ever since they put this rule in that is now the NFL rule. And there are some teams that will go six, the whole year they'll have six, seven kick returns total because they're just like, we're not going to deal with this. We're not going to take the risk. We're going to call for a catcher and get the ball at 25. And the only time they return kicks is when it's kicked short of the 25, which again, you can't do because it, it's not the same as kicking it to the one and trying to cover. If you kick it short of the 25, you've already yielded yardage no matter what. I wonder if they're going to return more kicks, even if they are a little further back, simply because teams aren't going to be covering kicks a lot. Teams aren't going to, may not be practicing as much covering kickoff returns because they don't have to do it. Do the Patriots look at that and say, this is something we don't think other teams are going to be prepared for. We got a couple of really good returners, Marcus Jones, Jabril Peppers, Demario Douglas. We're going to run out a ton of kicks this year and make teams defend it because other teams aren't, and we're going to be different. So it's going to be super interesting to see how they handle that. Yeah. If they show their hand, because Nick Folk said like teams might not show how you're going to, you know, what their plan is during the preseason, right? That's true. Be more like a surprise. And he also said like, he wouldn't be surprised. Nick Folk said he wouldn't be surprised if there were more squib kicks. Right. So maybe that's something you see to try to pin teams back, but, but that is still the, I guess you can't, yeah, you can't fair catch a squib kick. So that's an interesting one. Yeah. But he said, Uh, I, I just pulled up the quote. He's like, it's a tough, the squib kick's a tough kick because, you know, you're at, he said, you're at the mercy of the football. You don't really know. You right. can't aim it as well. Right. So it's a risk, but if you could perfect it in a way, as much as you could perfect something like that, maybe that's beneficial to you. The problem is you need the ball to get inside the 25 for that to essentially yeah. be effective. And that's very hard to do. So I, I will see. I, I just, I, I'm fascinated to see what they come up with, what Joe Judge and Cam Accord come up with, because I, they're going to do something different. They love pushing <laughs> the boundaries of whatever these rules are. Every time there's a rule change, they go right up to that line and stress test it. So I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with this new kickoff rule. Although hopefully the new kickoff rule doesn't last and they go to the XFL rule, because I think the XFL rule is excellent. And I think that would be a ton of fun in the NFL. I want to hear more about Jordan Healy from you, though. I just think... Based off what we saw in the spring, right, him working with Slater, with Cam Accord, like primarily, he didn't do any defensive defensive drills. I just think that that's a position, a guy we've seen, or a role we've seen guys hang around in, right? And that's something right. that I find noteworthy. And I'm not sure if Cody Davis is going to be ready, right, for the start here. He was kind of limited with that, you know, he tore his knee up at uh, – like midway through last year and things kind of fell off and we'll see if he's ready or not. But I mean, he was like a primary special teams player at Appalachian state. Like he didn't play much defense there either. So I think he's a, he gets like 50 of, snaps his whole career. Yeah. yeah. Like he's just kind of like an intriguing guy. And the fact that they're putting him right in that role from the jump, I, I that just kind of jumped out to me. And that could be like this UDFA guy that they like. Yeah. No, I could see that. Is your favorite Johnny Lumpkin in that department? I I had Healy on my roster. I'd love to see Johnny Lumpkin make the team because I freaking wow, rare swear for me on the podcast. Just a freaking massive tight end. Like, I mean, you put him next to Trent Brown and you run the ball on the goal line behind them, you're gonna have a fun time. But I I my favorite would be Johnny Lumpkin because I just, he seems like a fun player, but like the guy actually, I do think is going to be Helix. I really do. Yeah, I like him. What do you think about the rugby drop for the kick? Oh, God. Well, now I'm just having flashbacks. <laughs> now, maybe I look, I think they're going to experiment with everything, not in game. I think they're going to run things in practice and just kind of talk about things in meetings, but I'm not ruling anything out. I'm not ruling anything out. Yeah, especially with Joe Judge and like they have more brain power back there. Yeah, and Joe Judge is like good at special teams, so yeah. he, he can get creative on that side. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, just going through special team, like Chris Board, like primary special teams guy, obviously, but he has the ability to play some linebacker if they need him to. It's not like a Brandon Kane situation or someone like that. Right. Who's strictly special teams, like if they need. Chris Board in a pinch to play some linebacker. He could play some defensive snaps. I've compared Chris Board to kind of like a defensive version of Brandon Bolden. I, I yeah, you're going to see him on defense a little bit. He'll short yardage situation where maybe they like say it's a third and one, 
and and they want you know they want to be able to run linebackers downhill. Mapu comes off, Chris Board comes in, he becomes that second downhill linebacker. I think that's his role. I I could see him getting like a hundred snaps defensively, yeah. something in that ballpark. I agree there. Uh, special teams don't matter. I don't. I wouldn't go that far. I think there's. I still... mean, the the league has de-emphasized it. Yeah. But you still got to cover punts. You Field still got to all. Yeah, I wouldn't. Goals. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I know um, people want to say, "Oh, you don't need special teams players on the roster because it's a chance to criticize Bill." Frankly, if you want to criticize Bill, you don't need the 0.9% of the salary cap that he's paying Chris board. There is much lower hanging fruit right now. If you want to come after bill, than them making uh, Joe Cardona, the highest paid long snapper for like two months. And by the way, he isn't anymore. It's now the Ravens guy. So I, I, and yeah, there's spent somebody pointed out the chat there. They lost games last year because of special teams. Investing in special teams is not a bad idea. You want to come after bill right now. There's much easier ways to do it than the special teams thing. Yep. I agree. I agree there. Um, Zappy cut for Cunningham. No, I don't see that. No, no, no. Completely <laughs> two different things. So I, yeah. I don't think so. Cunningham probably will still be used. He was a receiver right there in the spring. So that's yeah. Where yeah. That and he's, that. he's going to be used as a receiver. Maybe he's a scout team quarterback. And I think he ends up on the practice squad. Yep. What about, All right. Let me ask, let me ask uh, you something, Brian here before we wrap up. Um, so I, I, I get this question a lot. Yeah. It's just people who are fans who are going to camp. How do I watch? Like, if I want to learn about the team, how do I watch? How, last year was your first year covering camp, right? You didn't cover camp at 21. I mean, I was there every day, but like, yeah, credential. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, do you feel more prepared this year to watch camp as a reporter than you yeah, did last year? I'd say so. Just knowing, I mean, I've been going to camp since 07 was actually my first year i remember it was specifically okay. because i was i was a little kid like too scared to ask randy moss for an autograph and my dad pointed out wes welker that was my dad's best call he's like go get that guy he's gonna be really good wes welker but um but yeah it is like you learn where to look for things right and how to like the speed tempo is what to judge and, and stuff like that so the more you go, I think you definitely fall into kind of a rhythm, right? Like you do with everything, but. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I went from the time I was, you know, I was going back at, at Bryant college yeah. and I got trampled by a bunch of people trying to get Tom Brady's autograph in 2002. So I, but it, it's funny how I went every year as a kid and I even, um, you know, and then even not even the Patriots, I, I went to college and I was covering the football team there, the D three football team. And it's crazy when you actually have to report back what you see from a practice and, and take things away from a practice, when there's like stakes, you have to write about it. Uh, it's crazy how hard it is to pick up like tangible information other than this guy made a nice player. This guy didn't. So for people who are going to camp and want to actually learn about the team and like really be able to take things away, like we do, like what kind of advice would you give them? Well, that you like based on stuff you learned last year. I think like, you're not like kind of you're not going to see everything, right? Like, you're gonna i mean we work together a lot i think like everyone down there yeah like you're bouncing stuff off people definitely bring if you want to like really get into it you need binoculars that's my big thing you need binoculars but um i'd say kind of like you know it's look for like tempo like when the music's on like that's one of my big cues like the music comes on the ones versus ones like that's when you're really getting some 11 on 11 stuff that you should really be paying attention to look who's lining up in different places don't just always like don't always be too concerned about where the ball is going or what they're doing like big thing of camp is, is the positional battles right so look who's lining up different places how are they rotating and stuff the personnel groupings i think that's a big big part of camp just in general right there yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I would say kind of along the lines of what you said, and this was a big thing I learned from my first year moving on. If you just say, I'm going to just watch the play play out and, and I'm going to watch the action from there, you can do that. And I do that sometimes. But the reality is like, if you do that, uh, you didn't see the receiver get open. You yeah. just saw him catch the ball. You didn't see how the pass rusher got to the quarterback. You just saw that he got there. You missed the, the move in there. And 
there is something to be said for following the ball, but if that's all you do, all you're going to do is watch the quarterback. And I, my thing is like decide on any given play, whether using your binoculars or not, decide what you want to watch before the play happens. So it's, I'm going to watch this wide receiver on this player. I'm going to watch this tackle against this defensive end on this player. I'm going to watch, you know, I'm going to just watch Marte Mapu and whatever he does. And he may not end up near the ball, but you can still learn something from that. Um, and kind of tying in with that, like you said, know what, get an idea of what the drills are. Uh, padded practices are worth more than unpadded practices. You weigh those more. One on ones, as fun as they are to watch, generally you don't take as much away from that. Cause, like, for instance, wide receiver corner one on ones, certain routes and certain coverages would dictate the corner pass the wide receiver off to the safety, but there is no safety in one on ones. That just happens. So, it's not to say there's nothing you can take from that, but you know, you get into seven on sevens, it's a little more involved. And then 11 on 11s, to your point, when we, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think a lot of people who cover the team, most of our big takeaways come from the 11 on 11 periods. I would say for me, 75, 80% of what I present as my takeaways come from those 11 on 11 periods. And if they're in the red zone, like, and then even within the 11 on 11, it might be heightened, right? Are they in the red zone? Is there music playing? Like you said, to stimulate, uh, simulate crowd noise. Do they have the sticks out? Are they moving the down markers? Are they actually trying to pick up first downs? Is the clock running? Are they in a two minute drill? And it can be multiple of these uh, it, all at once. And you kind of get an idea of where the stakes are in any given drill. And you know what those high impact drills are. Um, so that, that certainly helps. Another piece of advice I'd give, uh, don't judge players by one bad play. That's really not how we do it. When we say a guy had a bad day, it doesn't mean he won made a bad play. Cause a guy might get burned bad on one play and that's notable like a corner, right? But then the rest of the day, he's step for step with every wide receiver. That's not a bad day. Whereas maybe there's a receiver that's a step or a corner that's a step behind the receiver. So it doesn't look that bad, but he did get beat, but he's a step behind on every single route. That guy had a worse day than the guy who got beat by 10 yards once and was competitive on every other rep. So be, be has like, be careful with that. You want to get to big picture. And the last piece of advice I'd give, and I think this is the best piece of advice for somebody who really wants to watch practice the way a reporter watches it. And I do this all the time because I showed up, you know, the first day to cover practice and I felt super overwhelmed. Like I actually have to relay this stuff now. This isn't just me here with my dad or my friends, whatever. And so I'm thinking, all right, I need to get the most important information. What is that? Well, it's probably whatever Bill Belichick's watching, or it's probably whatever at the time Josh McDaniels is watching or whoever. So if you don't know where to start, and because we said like, all right, watch this, watch that. But how do you know what to watch when? Knowing what the drills are helps. Like if you know it's a run drill, don't watch the receiver because you're just going to see run outs. But like watch what Bill Belichick's watching. Watch what Bill O'Brien's watching. Watch what Gerard Mayo's watching. Because what they're looking at is probably pretty important. If if Because they're the ones who are going to ultimately decide what the team looks like. And I think uh, to another extent, you see maybe the coaches are interacting with the player a certain player more often that can be a sign that a guy is going to make the team. That's how, uh, you know, sometimes we figure out who the UDFA is going to be. Are they getting certain attention from the coaching staff? So yeah, if you're going to go down watch camp, it is free and open to the public at Gillette stadium. Uh, that's just some advice for how to watch it like us. Yep. I saw, I couldn't find the comment. Someone asked if they're going to do more days and there's the four they announced or the three they announced. They're going to have yeah. another one that weekend and then they'll have, they'll announce more, as they go, they'll they'll I believe they're going to do the in in stadium practice that they do every year. Probably, It'll, I would assume so. Yeah, the total will probably be a little lighter this year because they're going to Tennessee and they're going to Green Bay, which is you know unfortunate. But they will announce more as they go. It's going to be about ten practices in yeah. Foxborough. That's that's what it should end up being. And I'd say they don't go usually like that first friday or the weekend is when they're first in pads right would you say uh, so they have to it, they can't go in pads until the fourth day so it'll be once okay, so, so it'll be that saturday or sunday whatever it is that's the yeah, first day that, in pads. and then they usually the first few days are usually like all red zone work right so if you go i mean last year the whole thing was red zone <laughs> but yeah last they year are, was... if, if you get there early enough so my advice is either get there really early or get there right when practice starts. Because if you get there really early, you can go sit on the bleachers. You want to be in the end zone closer to the hill, like closer to where you walk in. Because that's where the, when they go one-on-one, -on -one, 
ones on ones, like 11 on 11, first team on first team. That's where they go. And they lived there in red zone last year. So if you want to get there really early, you can get those seats on the bleachers. The opposite, and this is a risk, but my favorite spot when I used to go was if there's too many people, only if there's too many people, they won't let you do this unless they deem it an overflow crowd. This won't happen Thursday, won't happen Friday, might happen Wednesday. It's usually on the weekend. They let people go up on the ramps, like on the other side. And you're not near it, but you can see everything. And you basically get to watch practice in all 22. So no guarantee you get to go up there. And if not, you're going to, I mean, you're the last one there. You're going to get the last pick of seats, but um, that's my advice for that. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't think they've done the punt drill. I don't think they've done that since like Isaiah wins. Yeah. They haven't done that in a long time. Uh, Oh no, they did it. They, uh, they did something. They did do something last year. I don't think it was punt. No, it was punts. They did. I don't think. I don't think it was for a day off though. I think it was just like a friendly competition thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they got for it, but they'll do the, uh, they always do like the rookie slip and slide. That's always a good one, even though it's hard to see it's far away, but they do, they do some fun stuff. It's a good fan experience too. There's plenty of stuff to do besides watch practice, even though, you know, that's the big thing. Obviously you can get autographs. Maybe Alex will give you an autograph if you ask nicely, <laughs> but maybe um, that's any, any last thing you're looking forward to here for camp. Yeah, that's it. I'm just geared up. I'm ready to go. Yeah. It, it's about time. So that'll do it for us here. We'll be back sometime. I don't know if we'll be back before probably Tuesday. Yeah. Just one more refresher before yeah. the fun begins, but Make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. Turn on the Patriots Press Pass notification so you do know when we go live. Follow Alex on Twitter at RealAlexBarth. Go read all his training camp preview and other work at 985thesportshub.com. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Brian Hines. Go read all my training camp work over at patspulpit.com. And we will see you guys next week.